Reach Freaks. Invisible Choir explores detailed depictions of violence and murder and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What could possibly drive someone with an obsessive need for love and affection to kill? Is the absence of an extradition treaty in one's native country attempting enough exit strategy to commit murder? We'll find out this time on Invisible Choir. What was that one? It's about sadomasochism. It's about bondage. Okay. And would he make you do things you saw on the website? Yes. And he always had one excuse worse than the other. Uh, one was that he never wanted to, to have another baby. He never wanted a baby in his life, but he had to. He never wanted to be a father. And he, his first wife trapped him into marriage. I'm going to put this gun to my head when he opens that door and see if I can make him realize that um, I'm, I'm in pain here, I'm desperate, I'm desperate. We've all heard about impulsive celebrity marriages, some that didn't even last the weekend, or divorces that took longer than the actual duration of the marriage. However, for most of us, marriage isn't something we enter into lightly. It's a much more formal and legally binding way to share a private and powerful expression of our love and commitment for one another. It's a way to tell the world that you're on a united front. Yet in reality, the reasons people get married are often varied and complicated. For most, the motivation to marry is based on the desire to bring out the best in the other person and to be the best version of ourselves in the process. But for a few, love and marriage is co-mingled with a desire for control or ownership. And getting out of that type of marriage can be difficult and even unsafe. And in rare instances, the person trying to escape that toxic marriage may never even live long enough to regret it. In 2005, 41-year-old Carl Herrig, a pilot for Southwest Airlines and a major in the United States Air Force Reserve, had a long and impressive career. He was doubly blessed because he also had a close-knit family and solid lifelong friendships. Herrig was an accomplished and decorated combat pilot who carried out over 200 missions in Iraq and Afghanistan. He was also a man of character, honor, and courage. He maintained a close friendship with his ex-wife and his two teenage children who lived in North Carolina. The only area of Carl's life that seemed yet unsettled was his personal life. He was newly single, having just ended a meaningful relationship with a Peruvian woman named Carla del Castillo. It wasn't a relationship that had run its course, rather, it only ended because they both ultimately wanted different things out of life, things that couldn't be reconciled. Carla wanted to get married and to have children, but Carl's own children were almost grown and 
raising a new family in his 40s wasn't what he wanted out of the second half of his life. As a result, the relationship came to an end and Carl would come to believe that Carla was the proverbial one who got away. He vowed that the next time he fell in love with the right person, he was going to commit immediately and he wasn't going to let the next love of his life get away so easily. And then, just a few months after the devastating separation, Carl Herrig thought he found just that person in May of 2005 when he came upon the dating profile of Claudia Sobral Bolte on Match.com. Claudia was a petite 40-year-old woman who physically looked very similar to his ex-girlfriend Carla. Claudia had been divorced for five years and worked as an accountant and English as a second language teacher. She was originally from Brazil and had come to the United States when she was just 22 years old, looking for love, adventure, and an education. She lived in New York City and had previously been married for 10 years to a doctor. During that marriage, Claudia became a naturalized American citizen in 1999. She eventually told Carl during their online chats that she never had children because she was unable to conceive. But motherhood wasn't an issue she felt strongly about, one way or another. It seemed the only obstacle standing in the new couple's way was their physical distance from one another. Claudia lived in New York and Carl in Newton Falls, Ohio. Regardless, Claudia's online profile spoke to Carl and he was willing to do just about anything to make their budding relationship work. Carl told Claudia that with his Southwest Airlines flying privileges, it wouldn't be a problem at all if things got serious with their relationship as he was willing to transfer to Stewart Air Force Base in New York to be closer to her. To prove his interest and intent, he asked her to pick a day to meet and reassured her that he would be there. Claudia gave Carl just one day's notice and sure enough, true to his word, he showed up on Claudia's doorstep. And um, when you spent the weekend in New York, uh, who paid for everything? Uh, we shared, really. Okay. Um, and after he came and visited New York, um, you continued talking on email and the phone? Yes, we, from that point on, actually, he proposed to me that same night. Uh, and then we basically, we, we, we agreed to get married that same, same very night. Okay, so, so let's walk back for a second. So he's in the weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and he proposed to you. He proposed to me that very fr Friday. Okay. Um, and what did you think when he proposed to you? I thought it was great. I mean, I was very happy to hear that. But I said, oh, yeah, my intentions are to marry you because, because like, you know, I like you. But we need to know each other better and we need to move to New York. Carl was tall and handsome and showed up wearing leather pants and a willingness to commit. Their chemistry was instantaneous and according to Claudia, he proposed to her the first night they met in person. She was so impressed with his physical appearance that she reluctantly agreed, and two weeks later, she flew to Ohio to meet Carl's friends at a couple's pajama party. And did Carl ask you to get dressed up? He gave me exactly directions as to what I should buy for me and for him, colors, everything, uh, the model, the shoes, he went into details about what he wanted me to wear. 
and told me to buy it. He said he was going to reimburse me for it, but he never did. Okay. And what did he have you buy? Uh, sexy white uh, silk pajama that was see-through and a high heel. Um, I don't know how to explain one of those Victoria's Secret shoes that that has a pom pom. No how to explain. Okay. So that. a high heeled shoe with a pom pom on it? Yeah, everything was white or off white. And um, it was three but it was very sexy. I didn't feel, I feel like a hooker. I felt like a hooker and but he gave me directions and and he told me to buy him. Pajamas to the lazy with some pattern, okay. and I did exactly what he told me to do. Okay. Two weeks after the party, Carl came to spend the weekend with Claudia and brought along his 16 year old son. Claudia was looking forward to spending time alone with Carl, but decided to make the best of it and showed them both around the city. In retrospect, she was very upset that he brought his son and allowed her to pay for things. Despite her irritation, she went back to Ohio to spend yet another weekend with her new fiancé. That next trip was only their fourth time seeing each other in person. Carl told her to pack a small bag for a surprise weekend getaway. Though the real surprise was that Carl had planned an engagement party for Claudia. Although there was no ring or official proposal, Claudia went along with it. She met all of Carl's closest friends and their wives and girlfriends, and claims to not have understood the purpose of the party until much later. In her version of events, it was anything but a happy occasion. And did you find out that there was a special sort of party going on at Putin Bay? Well, I didn't know that there was a party, but it was. Uh, uh, everybody came to me to say, uh, congratulations, congratulations. And I was I thought I was missing something on the English language. I said, "What is that that I'm I am missing?" Because I don't know what they are congratulating me for. And I was just thank you, thank you, trying to giving it enough time for me to pick up and understand what they were congratulating me for. And they were congratulating me for my engagement. That was my engagement party that I had no idea. Did, I didn't know anything about it. Okay. Uh, did he did he give you a ring at that time? No. After um, after the Putin Bay party and visit, you went back to New York. After the Putin Bay, yes, I I think I took a yes, I took a bus, Greyhound bus back to New York because everything was me and I was running short of money so I took the bus because I couldn't, I, I couldn't afford the airplane ticket. Okay. Going home in tears, Claudia wasn't sure this was a relationship worth pursuing. They had talked about getting married, but according to Claudia, she felt rushed into the decision. They tentatively decided to get married in August, which would have been four months after their initial meeting. This was quick by anyone's standards, but in her version of events, Carl was so enamored by her that he needed to lock her down as soon as possible. He wasn't willing to risk losing another once-in-a-lifetime love again. Because he felt that uh, me being in New York might, and all those 
uh, pictures that I had on Match.com and I hadn't yet taken them down. He was afraid that somebody else was going to propose to me and, and, um, and, and he was going to lose me. So he said, we better close those 500 uh, mile gap uh, because uh, you may change your mind about marrying me. So um, he was anxious to get married, very anxious. Okay. And so did you guys move the wedding date up? Yeah, then all of a sudden he said, um, uh, let's forget about this whole thing about marriage, uh, wedding reception. Let's just go to Las Vegas. Okay. And you guys went to Las Vegas? And then he said, he said we can have our, our wedding reception uh, after we get married. Let's hurry up and get married okay. before you meet somebody else. As a commercial airline pilot, Carl was entitled to a free ticket to Las Vegas, yet Claudia recalled having to pay her own way, including footing the bill for the clothing they wore and their hotel room. Once they arrived, things didn't go very smoothly for the almost newlyweds. Without warning, Carl changed his mind and thought they were rushing into things. His friends and family wanted him to wait. No one understood the rush to marry a virtual stranger. Relieved, Claudia stated that she was willing to wait too, but the very next day, Carl changed his mind again and impulsively said, let's just do it. Though most would take reasonable issue with Carl's indecisiveness, Claudia just went along with it. She would later explain that her passive personality and willingness to go along with just about anything was culturally driven and that she was raised from a young age to play deference to men. So 50 days after their first meeting on June 5th, 2005, Carl and Claudia were married. It was only the fifth time they had actually met in person. After their quickie celebrity-style Vegas wedding, they each went back to their respective lives, both seemingly stunned at the reality of a marriage with someone they barely knew. Carl flew back to Newton Falls and Claudia to her job in New York. She didn't tell anyone she had gotten married because she was embarrassed at how abruptly it all ensued. She also had a feeling the marriage wouldn't work out because the new couple had already briefly discussed seeking an annulment. Upon Claudia's return from Las Vegas, she had some damage control to do with her job because she had unexpectedly missed two days of work due to their impulsive decision. When she returned to New York, she lied and told her boss that her car had broken down on the drive back from Ohio. Just two weeks later, Carl allegedly called her at work to demand that she tell her boss immediately about the marriage or that he would do it for her. Uh, I, I went into her office and I told her everything. I said, I'm so sorry that I did this, that I lied um, about marriage. I was very embarrassed. And um, she said, you fired. Okay. And so then did you decide to move to Ohio? Um, I was expecting that she would not fire me. I expected that she would keep me and I would annul my, my marriage, but um, she fired me. And then I, it was so hard to get that job because I, I had been fired uh, from my other job and my resume wasn't looking too good. Imagine being fired again. New York is very, competition is very hard. And if your resume is not very good, you don't stand the chances. So I knew that for me to get another job, with that, you know, that record, that record, um, 
It was not going to be easy. So I saw no... I went from paycheck to paycheck, so I knew that um, it was not going to be easy for me to find another job. And so I felt that I had no choice. I had to move to Ohio because I couldn't... I couldn't it was not going to be easy to find another job. Well, you talked about... <laughs> oh, so he... Oh, I'm sorry. Just wait a second. Let me ask you a question here, Chris. Um, you talked a little bit about moving, living paycheck to paycheck, right? Yes. Now, you did have a decent-sized sum of money um, saved up, correct? Yeah, but that money was not to use on a day-to-day basis. It was just, you know, to keep it, to keep that money. You know, I was single. I had no family in here. I had that money, I never intended to touch it. Okay, and how much money was that? 40000 Okay, $40,000? $40,000. Okay, and where did you keep that? In a safe deposit box. Okay, and so you decided to, to move to Ohio to try and make your marriage work? Well, because he gave me this ultimatum and I lost my job, I had no place to go, but I come here, um, at least I would have a roof over my head, and I thought I was going to have food. Okay. Uh, I thought I'm not going to have a lot of expenses, so I'm going to move there. And also he said something very nice that it compelled me to come. He said, you belong here with me, your husband, in Ohio. You belong by my side. Let's forget about everything that happened. Uh, let's start fresh. We belong together. I thought those words were, were very uh, sincere words. They, I believe, I believe those words. Okay. If you haven't noticed by now, there's a growing pattern in Claudia's recollection of events. In every story she tells, she's always the victim, always being told what to do and when to do it, and has very little power in the apparently dysfunctional dynamic. She described herself as a meek and submissive new wife, but as we'll later find out, Claudia wasn't the meek and powerless woman she wanted to portray to authorities. In fact, her life's history indicated she was actually a bold and confident woman who went after her dreams and turned them into realities, despite enormous obstacles, such as language and educational barriers. As a young 22-year-old, she managed to move from Rio de Janeiro to New York City, where she attended Hofstra University to obtain her accounting degree. She then married a doctor, divorced, and had an important job as a controller for a large national publishing company. She had also managed to purchase her own condo, regularly sent money back to her family in Brazil each month, and still amassed a large cash savings. Yet in Claudia's version of events, her apparent role in the marriage to Carl portrayed her as the exact opposite of the way close friends and co-workers had come to know her. But due to her alleged quiet nature, Claudia found herself without a job and decided that perhaps a fresh start with a new dashing and handsome husband was the right choice for her. Unfortunately, the moment she arrived in Ohio, she was extremely unhappy with the living arrangements. Carl had moved his then 16-year-old son Brent in to live with the newlyweds. Claudia described Brent as a 6'4", mildly autistic and overweight teenager. She had been expecting to start a new life where her husband would take care of her, both emotionally and financially. She was anticipating a never-ending supply of love and devotion. Instead, she was immediately thrust into the role of active stepmother taking care of the teenage son she neither expected nor wanted. 
and while Carl paid the mortgage and utilities, he expected his college-educated wife to contribute to the household expenses by purchasing groceries and her own clothing. This was something Claudia found both offensive and outrageous. And you still had your condo in New York? Yes. Okay, and were you able to rent that out? I rented that out. And so when you moved out to Ohio, uh, what did you find? Oh, I found a branch there. His six foot four, 16 year old autistic son there. And I was confused about what he was doing there. And why were you confused about the fact Brent was living with him? Well, I didn't know he was living there. I thought he was spending um, some time in there, but it was our honeymoon. I didn't expect to see his kids spending vacation or some days um, in Newton Falls. He lived in North Carolina. Oh, I was surprised so to see him there. Carlo told you that Brent lived with his mother in North Carolina. Yes. Um, so you, you move out here to Newton Falls, and you're living with Carl and Brent, correct? Well, yeah. Um, he said, uh, well, the situation with my son, um, his mother's not raising him correctly. He gained a lot of weight. I want to straighten out this boy, his hygiene and everything. So I need him with me uh, for a while. Um, do you mind? If I said no, uh, it was going to be a big problem. I said, well, okay. Oh my God, he's right here. Not only was it not the honeymoon she was expecting, but Carl told Claudia that he was making a career change that would result in his pay being cut almost in half. Instead of making $120,000 a year, he was suddenly making closer to sixty. As part of his career change, he needed to immediately leave for Texas for three to four months of training. This left Claudia in charge of feeding and caring for a growing teenage boy, which caused in her a growing resentment. Claudia felt it was unfair that she had to use her savings to support herself and Brent while Carl was away. And in December of 2005, she got a job and began working as an accountant again to help alleviate some of the financial pressure. She continued to have nagging doubts about their marriage, and they both kept their finances and bank accounts separate. She didn't know how much money Carl actually made at his new job. She just knew that he gave her a menu of meals he wanted to eat and expected her to purchase the groceries and to do all of the cooking. When Carl eventually returned from training in Texas, his work schedule meant that they wouldn't be seeing each other as often. He regularly flew for two to three days at a time and would only be home for one or two days before having to go back again. On top of his new flying schedule, Carl also had to spend weekends away flying for the Air Force Reserves. In the limited time they did spend together, Claudia found Carl to be controlling and claimed that his alleged sexual demands were distasteful and degrading. He continued to pick out all of her clothes and only allowed her to wear open-toed shoes, even in inclement weather conditions. Um, when Carl was home and you guys were in the house, did he have specific requirements for what you wear? Yes, um, basically I couldn't only wear a, sh a skirt, short skirt with uh, heels. Um, he liked that pom-pom heel, but I couldn't wear other shoes as long as it was high heel. 
overdose in um, uh, just a very small top uh, in, during the day, but it's, you know, it was uh, other times, it was later at night, yeah, I had to walk around just in heels, no clothes, naked. And uh, why did you put up with all of this? I went to, I wasn't really to be married, I want to make him happy. Uh, I was used to high demand, I came from that kind of uh, background that, you know, people were hard on me in my life and I, and I kind of was used to high demand and he wasn't, the demand, he, what he did was different, but the demand that was always used to uh, meet people's demands. So he was a very demanding man and I thought that over time he was going to mellow up. He was older, was, he was 40, I was 40. People get set in their ways. I thought even over time he was going to let go of that, those, those weird things that he did. I thought it was going to change. Claudia kept all of her clothing and personal items in the basement. She had boxes and boxes of clothing, most with tags that had never been worn. She also had over 70 pairs of shoes, 100 different bras, over 200 jackets, and hundreds of dresses, blouses, and skirts, none of them stored in the master bedroom closet. She also kept her computer in the basement and had a desk and vanity area for her makeup. She would later insist this was because Carl refused to allow her to keep any of her personal belongings in the master bedroom, not even a single pair of socks. The only exception was a sexy pair of shoes that resembled stripper shoes. They were clear with feathery pom-poms attached, and she was allowed to keep them at the side of the bed only when they slept together. In her version of events, she was never allowed to make any decisions, only when it came to cooking and cleaning and submitting to his sexual perversions. According to Claudia, Carl controlled everything in the house, the furniture, the paint colors, and even the renovation projects. In Claudia's eyes, her opinions were neither wanted nor respected, and Carl made no special accommodations to integrate her into his home. Upstairs, Carl commanded the master bedroom, while the other two rooms were for his teenage children, one for Brent and another for his daughter Eva. There was no space on the second floor at all for Claudia. And then, the new marriage began to sour in July of that year, when Claudia had miraculously fallen pregnant. Let's, let's walk back to July of 2005, right after you guys got married. Um, you got pregnant. I got pregnant. Is that a surprise? It was a surprise because I was married 10 years before and, and I never got pregnant. Uh, and I thought that I was already 40. I thought that it was too late for me to get pregnant. I was not going to. Uh, my first husband had problems and I guess that's why I didn't get pregnant. Okay. But still. I do. Carl talked about having kids? We did. You didn't? No, we didn't talk about the, the kids stuff. And I, uh, he asked me how I felt about kids. I said, I don't, I don't mind if I never have children. Uh, I'm so used to... I, I don't know, I, I'm old now. I don't think about those things anymore. I don't think about becoming a mother because I think 
According to Claudia, her unplanned pregnancy brought out a darkness in Carl, and he systematically began to torture her with a forced exercise regimen. She believed he was trying to induce a miscarriage. Well, the, when he realized that I'm really not going to have the abortion, he, he started uh, torturing me psychologically, physically, um, finding ways to uh, stress me out so I would have a natural abortion, what do you call it, a miscarriage. Uh, sleep deprivation, he would uh, make me uh, run miles uh, and then he would leave me out in the middle of the woods in, in Newton Falls, dark like 6 p.m. and then disappear. I would freak out and start running real fast because I was scared that he left me behind. So I started running, running, running. I was pregnant and then I guess that it wasn't good, it was early pregnancy, he would do that kind of, and he wanted me to get in real good shape. He made me do workout with weights, and he was like a personal trainer while I was pregnant. I guess all of this um, made me have the miscarriage. Okay, so you had a miscarriage? I did have a miscarriage, yes, in, in the middle of the night, and I woke him up and said, I'm feeling a lot of pain. I haven't seen the blood. I'm having a lot of pain here, like I'm um, having my period. And then I sat in the bed and then I looked down and there was blood. I said, there was blood here, there was blood. I didn't think of it. I didn't have experience with it. There was blood, there was blood. It was in the middle of the night. He said, uh, okay, we'll go to the doctor in the morning. And we went to the doctor in the morning. After Claudia's miscarriage, things changed between the couple. Carl felt she was either lying about the pregnancy and miscarriage, or that she set him up and got pregnant on purpose, without his knowledge or consent. Then in February of 2006, Claudia got pregnant for a second time. Once again, she alleged that Carl was livid and thought the entire thing was a setup. He then again demanded she get an abortion, and when she refused, 
his alleged torture tactics began all over again. This time, he added in sleep deprivation, forcing her to stay awake until nearly 3 a.m. every morning watching television shows. Claudia claimed that Carl made her sit at his feet and wasn't allowed to talk to him or touch him. She still had to get up each day at 5 o'clock in the morning, and with the sleep deprivation and exercise regimen, this sustained, quote, torture resulted in yet another miscarriage. As a result, Claudia fell severely depressed, which, coupled with Carl's sexual demands, became another source of stress for the couple. You and Carl had a, uh, an active sex event, correct? We did, but it was not normal sex. Okay. Um, Carl had issues in the bedroom? Yeah, um, we, he was not able to perform without Viagra or without bondage or without something weird or me pretending to be dead. He, he would not get an erection uh, with normal sex. Um, and you talked earlier in your interview that was played about a website called Hogtide. Hogtide. Um, what was that website? It's about sadomasochism. It's about bondage. Okay. And would he make you do things he saw on the website? Yes, but this also, yes he did. But this was all, all after we got married. He never hinted to me that he had any sexual issue or fetish. Is that called fetish? Fetish, fetish. I cannot say that word, you know what I mean? Yes. Um, he, I never noticed before we got married. What I know is that he was very nervous about his penis. He, he had a long bit in the middle of his penis that he said some woman, when he was deployed, he went to Germany. She sat on his penis. She broke it. He has this lump and that turned into cancer. He was freaking out about having cancer and he was freaking out about not performing. He asked me if I was going to leave him. I said, no, I know about a lot, I knew that a lot of men have sexual issues because they get nervous and they cannot perform. I didn't see anything wrong with that. I didn't see it coming. I didn't, I didn't think anything. Neither Carl's ex-wife nor any ex-girlfriends had any similar complaints about Carl's, quote, weird sexual demands. Yet Claudia stated that he was obsessed with a BDSM website called Hogtide and that he would tie her up and make her play dead during sex. She believed his deviant interests were a sign that he had been traumatized or sexually abused as a child, and she thought she would be able to help him overcome these fetishes over time. But that didn't happen. In fact, Claudia was also forced to watch what she believed were pornographic television shows about sex. He made her watch a British television program called Mile High about pilots and crew with loose morals who slept with each other and engaged in threesomes and a swinger lifestyle. She was especially outraged that it depicted men having sex with other men. The other show he apparently forced her to watch was called Big Love, which was about a man who was an LDS fundamentalist who practiced a secret life of polygamy. She also stated that Carl eventually demanded she bring over a maid from Brazil to act as his second wife in their relationship, because apparently one Brazilian wife wasn't enough. Okay, and, and where did you want to get a maid from and why did you want to get a maid? He wanted a maid from Brazil, 
he um, wanted to be like he watched the show called Big Love, which is a man with multiple wives, and he wanted to bring a maid from Brazil. He said, "It's you work a lot, so to do the house cleaning and to be like my second wife, uh, um, and you're only gonna get the good part. You're gonna get the sex. You're gonna, you're gonna do the, the uh, cleaning, and and then we're gonna have sex. It's gonna spice up our sex life." Okay. And uh, did you give him your opinion about that idea? I did. And what was your opinion about that idea? I said, "Talk to the hand." I'm not listening to this kind of stuff. Okay. And how did that go over? He wouldn't stop. He would. Uh, he was also saying the same thing to me. Talk to the head. I want this made. You're gonna make it happen. Uh, you're gonna file the papers. You know exactly what to do. I want this made here. And we both would talk to, to each other. Talk to the head. Without listening to each other. Um, and I think on your interview you talked about another show you liked called Miles High. Miles High. And what was that TV show about? Miles High was about the lifestyle uh, of that he really, that's the whole reason why I think now he left the U.S. force. He, uh, Miles High was about pilots and the crews, uh, the crew, I'm sorry, the pilots and the crew Men having sex with men and women, women have sex with men and women, they all having swapping. It was, what is that called? RG? O R G uh, Y? It like swinging, it's like big. And so that's what the show was about? That's what the show was about. And I was forced to watch men with men, women with men, women. It's big. Now. It's sex. Party. Now, did, did Carl talk to you about engaging in this sort of conduct? Yes, he uh, was pushing me to uh, um, towards his uh, pilot. Uh, um, I guess it was the captain. Um, he um, uh, was trying to have me um, sleep with um, uh, a pilot. Okay. And you didn't approve of this lifestyle? No. I'm conservative, I don't approve of that kind of, uh, of swapping, uh, couple swapping, I don't like it. Okay. Did that cause problems in your marriage? Yes, yes, he felt I was too uptight. He, he, he actually told me, look, I've been around for a long time, I've done everything in this life, and sexually, uh, for me to get an erection, it takes a lot, I need to do a lot of different stuff. Carl made Claudia feel invisible like she wasn't important. She also felt that he turned her into his personal therapist by forcing her to listen to him talk about his ex-wife and ex-girlfriends. But she didn't mind. She felt like she had a natural gift and wanted to help heal him, but didn't realize that he was breaking her down at the same time and that her own mental health would become an issue. When Carl's son eventually decided to move back out to North Carolina, he blamed Claudia for forcing his son to leave. It's at that point, she believed Carl's cognitive abilities and mental health took a steep decline. Well, he became more affectionate, but at the same time, he became more fragile. It's like, let me see what really was inside of him. And he was, he was tormented. He was, he was in so much pain, he couldn't forgive anything that went wrong in his past. 
is divorced from Ranga, uh, that he think he thought destroyed uh, his kids. The kids became fat. He couldn't live with that, and then he couldn't live. He wanted had aspirations of becoming um, a politician, and he thought a divorced man has less chance of becoming a politician because a politician has to have the perfect house, uh, the perfect yard, the perfect kids, the perfect wife, and there was nothing else perfect and he this he was falling apart. So I had to take care of my own psychological issues, had to um, uh, work long hours and I had to be take care of Carl that was falling apart uh, because of his daughter getting pregnant, 18-year-old daughter getting pregnant, Brent, uh, his son, going back to North Carolina, he had no control, he was a control freak. He had no control over his kids. He has no control over anything. He was freaking out. He was drinking. He was in bad shape, and then he started um, having bad landings, airplane landings, with Southwest. He would come home and say, I'm going to lose my job, I'm going to lose my job. So I had to uh, be a therapist for him and say, calm down. Being forced to deal with all of Carl's demands put Claudia into a deep depression, and she no longer wanted to live. Her life had become untenable. Late 2006, early 2007, you tried suicide for the first time? Uh, yes. Okay. And how did you try to commit suicide? With a gun. Okay. And that was the gun that was in the house? Yes, Carl's gun. Okay. And Carl kept a number of guns in the house? Many guns. And earlier in your marriage, you'd expressed to Carl that you had concerns about living in the country and your safety? Yes, because being from, you know, coming from a big city, you always worry about people breaking into your house. And he said, uh, I don't have keys to the house. I said, how could you not have keys to the house? Lock the doors. He said, no, in this house we don't lock doors. So that doesn't freak me out. Okay. Well, we're going back to that. At that point in time, did he take you out and teach you how to shoot a gun? Yes. And was there a pistol in the house that you knew about? Yes. And was that the gun you tried to commit suicide with? Yes. Um, we tried to commit suicide. What stopped you? Uh, I, I didn't have the courage to do so it. I was, a, I was afraid of um, not dying, just, uh, what do you call it, getting wounded and not dying. So I didn't have the courage. Claudia had a second suicide attempt just a few weeks later. She took 30 sleeping pills and called Carl's daughter and Carl's father and told them both goodbye. Then she told Carl whatever happened to her would not be his fault because it was her own decision. Then she got into her car, allegedly fell asleep at the wheel and ran her car into a ditch. She woke up in the hospital and when they tried to send her home, Carl interfered, which caused her to be committed for eight days. The hospital was initially prepared to let her go home the next day until Carl pointed out to the nurse that she had attempted suicide twice within a few weeks and then had her committed involuntarily against her will. She begged him not to commit her because she was in the middle of a big audit at work and was worried she would lose her job. Before Claudia returned home, 
Carl took all of his guns over to a family member's house, as he wasn't sure if her suicide attempts were a cry for attention or if she truly wanted to die. He found it suspicious that her attempts at self-harm always followed his request for a divorce. Either way, he cared about her and wanted her to be safe, so he removed his extensive gun collection from the home. While Claudia was away for those eight days, she was able to gain clarity about her marital issues and eventually came to the conclusion that all of her suicide attempts were Carl's fault. In Claudia's version of events, it was Carl's mental problems that had become so severe that she was forced to call a family meeting. It was a planned intervention to save her husband from himself. Well, in his situation, he was not doing well, so it was affecting me. Okay. And did you decide uh, to do anything after you got out of the hospital uh, to try and make yourself feel better or get out of the situation? I called his family. I called his family to let them know that he was uh, sick and he needed medical help, psychiatric help. I wasn't able to help him anymore and to stand up uh, to him. I wasn't strong enough by myself to um, control him. I needed help from his parents, from his, his family. And so like, when they say let the cat out of the bag, I, I, I spilled the beans. <laughs> I let everybody know that that man was suffering from um, uh, psychological issues. Okay, well, let's stop there. So you, you talked to his family and told them what was going on? I had to. And you had a meeting with his parents? I had, I, I, I requested a meeting with the entire family in my house to let them know everything that was going on in their marriage. Like, short from what was going on sexually. Well, That's the only thing I didn't reveal, but everything else I revealed about the money. Uh, also, I didn't reveal about, yeah, sexual part I didn't reveal. Like, no, okay. I thought it was too much. Okay, so you told everybody that the marriage wasn't going well and that Carl was suffering from mental health problems. From mental problems. He was suffering from mental problems. He needed a psychiatric help intervention. He needed inter psychiatric um, intervention. Claudia left the meeting believing that Carl's parents were on her side. In her recollection, they sided with her and even told Carl to leave her alone and to let her wear what she wanted, when she wanted. They gave Claudia their full support. She finally felt validated as the victim and felt relieved that they agreed that Carl was her abuser. However, Carl's brother Steve wasn't buying it. He allegedly told Claudia in her recollection of events that she was the terrible person that his parents shouldn't help or support her, that she'd better not call the family together ever again to discuss Carl. He told Claudia that her and Carl's marriage was none of their business, and that if it wasn't working, they should get a divorce and stop bothering the rest of the family with their problems. Claudia was upset with Steve, but ultimately agreed with him, and eventually asked Carl for a divorce. She even placed a new ad on Match.com, and before long, she met a new man, and they began dating. Claudia had no intention of staying single for long. I went to Match.com and I started looking for um, a boyfriend. And did you meet somebody? I did. Um, what was his name? Bruce Rogers. 
And did you guys start uh, carrying on correspondence? Yeah, we spoke on the phone quite a bit, a lot, and 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 I told him about all my marital problems, my f first husband in New York, my divorce. He knew quite a bit about my life, and then and then we met. Um, but then Carl. Um, he didn't want the divorce and he started asking for another chance. And then I was like divided between somebody that I had already met and Carl asking for forgiveness. And I figured, well, if he's asking for forgiveness and I'm married to him, it's easier that I give him another chance. Before Claudia broke things off with Bruce, she began corresponding with a former boss. He was married, yet they engaged in inappropriate conversations, and she decided she wasn't going to give Carl another chance after all. And instead, she was going to move back to New York, where she was offered her old job back. She told Carl they each needed to date other people, and that if they were meant to be together, then they would find each other once again. She was no longer passive or depressed. She was hopeful and confident and excited to head back to her old life to recapture herself. Then, just a few days later, something happened to change all of her exciting new plans. On the evening of March 9th, 2007, Claudia took a home pregnancy test and discovered that she was once again pregnant for the third time at nearly 43 years of age. Well, I went into a panic, so what am I gonna do? I asked for divorce, I'm dating another guy, another guy. I. He's single, worked out. What am I gonna do now? I'm gonna tell him that I don't want this divorce anymore. I freaked out. And uh, pregnancy was never a reason for Carl to, for, for him to think that that's the reason to make things work out. So I, I knew my chances of reverting uh, the damage of pushing him away, telling him to go date Bergata or whomever he wanted to date, me dating another guy. He saw that I had a profile. I, I thought I did so much damage to, to my marriage. Um, and and now if I tell him I'm pregnant, my chances of me fixing this damage is very small. So uh, I'll go, I'll prepare plan B, which is if I cannot reverse the damage, if I cannot convince him to try one more time, I'm going to kill myself because I have no job, I have no means of supporting this, this child, um, and, and I cannot have an abortion. So I really thought that my only way uh, out of that mess was to kill myself. Claudia knew there was a very slim chance of Carl ever taking her back or allowing her to keep the baby. She no longer wanted to go back to New York as a single mother, nor did she think that Carl would allow it. She had devised a plan A to get Carl back so they could raise the child together. And if that didn't work out, she had devised a plan B to kill herself. Carl had previously removed all of his guns from the home. This was a problem because she decided that plan B was to die by gunshot. Despite her decision, Claudia still had some reservations with the methodology. She had small hands, 
and was worried about recoil. When she googled suicide by handgun, she discovered that sometimes people botched the attempt and could wind up very much alive and permanently disfigured after pulling the trigger. Instead of risking such a grisly fate, Claudia decided instead to build a recoil-proof device. She took a piece of wood and attached it to a wall inside of the closet in Carl's daughter Eva's bedroom. She then hollowed out a hole in the wood where she could place the barrel of a gun, reach around the board, and then shoot herself. To ensure success, Claudia went gun shopping and had quite a few questions. With the help of a gun salesman, she settled on a 357 Magnum with special hollow point bullets for maximum damage. She told the salesman that she wanted to be able to stop an intruder with the highest amount of force possible, and that was why she needed the special ammunition. She also paid an extra $400 to have a custom laser sight attached to the gun, even though a laser sight is for aiming at a distance. Next, she went to the gun range to practice shooting the 357 Magnum. She was extremely proud of herself and had discussions with several people regarding her natural aptitude for shooting. With plans A and B now fully in place, Claudia was now ready to confront Carl. And so at this point in time, uh, you had two plans. Plan A was that you were going to try and uh, reconcile with Carl, let him know you were pregnant, and hopefully he would let you have the baby and you could continue your marriage, correct? Yes, that was plan A. And plan B was if he rejected you like he did on the prior occasions, you were going to kill yourself with the device. That was plan B. Because you were I was hoping that I was not going to get to killing myself. Um, but you kind of thought of it. I, I knew in my head, if I said no, um, I, I definitely was going to kill myself. I wasn't joking, I wasn't joking around, I made my mate to kill myself. And you preferred killing yourself to having an abortion? Oh, absolutely. And so then, the morning of March 12th, uh, Carl comes home from being away, right? Yes. He comes home sometime between 9 and 10? That's correct. Um, he comes in the house and he goes upstairs and you meet him in the master bedroom, right? Uh, some point we made it to master bedroom, but maybe I met him by the door. And I, I think I met him by the door and I gave him the letter for him to read. Okay. Um, I think he read the letter, I don't remember much of that, he did read the letter, yes. Claudia thought the best way to ensure that plan A would be successful was to once again involve all of Carl's close friends and family in their marriage. She sent them all a letter telling them that Carl was abandoning her and that he was refusing to work on their marriage. She also told them that she deserved a husband who cherished her and put her needs first. In the letter, she reminded Carl that he had promised her that there would be no eject button on their marriage, that their union was for life, and that she had every intention of holding him to that promise. She told him and all of his friends and family that, quote, you made me promises that no matter what, there would be no divorce in this relationship. I'm a good woman, Carl. Do not do me wrong, please. Claudia anticipated that reaching out to Carl's Air Force colleagues, along with his parents and brothers, would be her best chance at reconciliation. But she couldn't have been more wrong. You're right. I was not planning on telling him that I was pregnant that day. It was my emotions that got the best of me and 
I, I showed him the pregnancy test, even though it was not my plan to show him my pregnancy test. And how did he respond to the pregnancy test? He said uh, he didn't care that I was pregnant. What else? It did didn't mean it didn't, there was not a, that's some subject he didn't want to talk about. Okay. Um, and did you, uh, did you talk to him about having an abortion? Uh, I, I asked him why um, can I have this baby? He said we discussed that and I don't want you to have a baby. I'm not going to have a baby. He gave me a bunch of reasons why I couldn't have a baby. And I asked him a bunch of times, why, why, why? And he always had one excuse worse than the other. Uh, one was that he never wanted to, to have another baby. He never wanted a baby in his life, but he had to. He never wanted to be a father. And he, his first wife trapped him into marriage by being pregnant. Um, and he didn't want it, that didn't sit well with him. A woman came to him and say, I'm praying. Didn't sit well with him. Um, I said, why can't I have this baby? He said, I don't want to be a father. Then I asked again, uh, then I gave him an option. I can go back to New York and have it by myself. He said, uh, I don't want to be, uh, don't want to be a father. Then I, I think I said, um, uh, I go back to New York, have it by myself. And then he said um, something about um, later, sooner or later, I'm gonna, you're going to ask me for money. Then I kept asking why, and then he said, I'm going to adopt my grandchild, my, Eva, my daughter. She's 18, she's pregnant, she's eight months pregnant, and I'm going to adopt her son, so she can go to school. So, uh, in my head, okay, so I'm gonna have to kill my child, so if I can have a baby, you can raise your own grandson, and I cannot have my baby. I'm giving you all those options. I can raise it by myself, I can go back to New York, you're never gonna have everything. He had an answer, um, just why I couldn't have that baby. Claudia alleged that Carl was so upset with her after sending out the letter and confronting him with the ultimatum that he grabbed her by the neck and threw her on the bed, where they struggled for a few minutes. She felt betrayed that he was choosing another baby over their baby. He coldly asked her to leave the room so he could shower and lock the door. He took over an hour, and while showering, she fell into a great despair. She then began drinking alcohol, which was something she normally didn't do and then grabbed her gun in a last-ditch effort to try to make Carl talk to her. I'm going to put this gun to my head when he opens that door and see if I can make him realize that um, I'm, I'm in pain here. I'm desperate. I'm desperate. I want him to realize that I'm really desperate. I want him to take me seriously and I want to talk more. I thought that maybe if I had more uh, chance to say more things to him, uh, if we sat and looked eye, uh, looked eye, eye to eye, uh, I would have a better chance. Uh, so all I wanted is more of his attention. When I put that gun to my head, I didn't really think at that moment I was gonna pull that trigger. Well, I, I wanted his attention. They continued talking 
And even though Carl had previously removed every gun from the home and went out of his way to keep Claudia from harming herself, this time was apparently different. Claudia alleged that Carl allowed her to keep the gun that she was now pointing at her head as she pleaded with him over their unborn child's life. When he opened the door, uh, he saw that he didn't have much of a reaction. He just stared me for a while, five, ten seconds. He didn't do a thing. He kept staring me and I kept staring at him. And I was crying. My, my, I was crying. And he didn't have any emotions to, to his face, nothing. I couldn't read him. No emotion. All of a sudden, he, he grabbed me. He grabbed uh, uh, my wrist and my throat. And he grabbed me. And he just grabbed me. And then when he was done grabbing me, he, he just pushed me. He pushed me and I fell back and I hit the, the a wall or um, there was a bedroom in the middle. I hit that wall, uh, the door frame uh, in that area. I hit my back, my head and there and I just stayed there. We continued talking for a while while I was on the floor and I was standing. While she stood holding a gun to her own head, Carl told Claudia that he had already rented an apartment a few weeks earlier and that he was taking his stuff and moving out. Then, he allegedly told her that he thought suicide was a good idea, but that she should do it in the basement and not in the entryway landing because he was concerned she would make a mess and get blood on the pictures he had hanging on the walls. Those comments allegedly were the turning point for Claudia. Suddenly, she had devised another plan, Plan C. And as was their history together, she acted in an impulsive instant, pulling the proverbial ejection lever on her and Carl Herrig's marriage forever. Stay tuned next time for the incredible conclusion to this case, where we'll answer the question, was Claudia Herrig really the helpless victim she portrayed, or was she quietly planning her own escape all along, lying to and manipulating Carl Herrig's family all the way through to the explosive ending?